So welcome. Hi. Hi, Priya. It's good to be with you. God, we've tried a few times, eh? I know, we're finally here. So, Hi. yeah, we're, where are we? We're in Priya's home. In the gingerbread house. The gingerbread house on Cortez Island, mm -hmm. which I want to acknowledge as, as traditional territory of the First Nations, the Klahus and the Sliaman mm -hmm. First Nations. And we're doing this recording as part of the Sustenance Radio podcast project, which is a show all about self-care and what really sustains us through difficult times, um, as well as the more joyful times going, you know, kind of that, that link between despair and joy and what it means for really ordinary people doing quite extraordinary things, maybe with some of their passions. And I met uh, Priya, who, Priya Hoffman, who is a poet, um, as well as many other things. I'm sure you wear many hats that you can share. Would you like to say any other hats that you wear? The hats, well, given my age, um, most people at, at my age, assuming we even get this far, have lived many, many lives. Mm. And so I'm no exception to that. I think, you know, the, there's the familial, there's mother, grandmother, even though my son's way beyond needing a mom. I'm... Um, I would say I'm retired by now. That means I'm not actively practicing, but I've been a psychotherapist and a group leader my whole life, and that's no longer what's happening. And then art has been a woven piece of fabric that mm -hmm. never goes away. And it's just a matter of when I've got to make it figural or background. When I was working and needing to make a living, obviously it was way in the wings. Mm -hmm. And now that that isn't so important, I get to pick it up again, hence the writing and everything else that yeah. I do that's in that creative vein. Yeah. Wonderful. And it's such an honour and such a joy to, to sit with you. And um, we also met during a, an eco-poetry workshop, so I'd really like to weave that in um, to this conversation and, and maybe start with a poem, one of my favourite poems that you said is also one of yours, which is The Peace of Wild Things. I'd love to read that because it is uh, from my very favorite poet, mm. it, one of my favorite poets in the world, and uh, one of the most profound writers today in the eco-poetry and the ecological field. His name is Wendell Berry, mm. and if there was one person in the world that I'd like to spend an afternoon with or a day, it would be Wendell Berry. So this poem is from him. But it reflects so, so well what I feel and what Bridget is talking about. When she felt like she was burning out, she went to the place, to the natural world, and that's where so many of us find the beat of our restoration and also the renewal of a sudden level of despair because if we go in nature with our eyes wide open, mm. we will see both the spring and the winter in all living things, because so many systems are degraded at the moment, or struggling, or screaming, or it is hard. It's hard to hold the both simultaneously. Mm. But anyway, let me read you the poem. It's called The Peace of Wild Things. Here we go. When despair for the world grows in me, and I wake in the night at the least sound in fear of what my life and my children's lives may be, I go and lie down where the wood rake rests in his beauty on the water and the great heron feeds. 
I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. I come into the presence of still water. And I feel above me the day-blind stars waiting for their light. For a time, I rest in the grace of the world and am free. Thank you for sharing that poem. It's beautiful. It kind of begs the question that we were talking about up in the kitchen Mm. that I find so relevant and so hard to do, which is how do we hold inside of us both the despair of the world and the hope for the world, which means how do we hold inside of us both our own, what we see, what we feel, what's so hard to witness, versus our own, in a way, privilege Mm. of being alive and well with food on our table and beauty that surrounds us. And how do we reconcile the personal, which is for the most part pretty fantastic, Mm. certainly for us here living in this piece of glory, and a more collective despair that seems to, appears to be keep growing, both environmentally and you know, in terms of humanity. And that is always a grapple. Yeah, that's a central question for, for me, sounds like for you, for so many people. Yeah. And that, thank you for centralising that question of privilege as well, because it, it you know, we it can be easy to forget about that when we live in these islands, all these bubbles, mm. and yet there's, we're still part of the world and our, you know, when we lean into what it means to be part of these circles of, of maybe a small family and what that mm-hmm. means, but also these wider circles, where the different positions that we can take in that. And so that's an amazing question. And yeah, is there kind of how do you sit with that and what's helped you grapple? Like you I say? cannot say that I've really been helped. No. I think I stay. Struggle. Well, I, I won't say I struggle because I don't make it a struggle as much because I'm not sure, honestly that I'm going to be wise enough in this lifetime to resolve that. But I do know this, like you talk about the bubble of Cortez, and I know when I come here, everything gets accentuated. It's like it gets magnified. And as somebody, a wise naturalist from this island once said, don't come here to think that things are going to be easier because this is an island where everything intensifies. When I come here, I notice both the grandeur of the world more acutely than I ever do in an urban situation when I see only the machinations of the human, Mm. you know, doings. But I also see the struggle because when the starfish die, you see it. When the Arbutus are dying because there's a disease, you see it. This year, our orchard, all the mummy, all our, you know, we lost our blueberries to mummy berries. The weather was such, so unseasonable that the fruits didn't pollinate. Uh, it was so damp that everything, you know, there was club root and this and the club foot. And so mm. here, everything is intensified, both the beauty 
and the struggle. And so when I'm here, which I am six months of a year, I sit in more intense questioning of, and if you like, more polarized because it's more beautiful and also I'm more aware of the fragility of our ecosystem. Yeah. So no, I have no answer. I have no handy tips. Would I love to say, oh, the three ways of resolving the personal mm-hmm. beauty and the collective uh, hardship? No. I, I think... I think what age is bringing me is maybe a teeny, teeny bit more tolerance about sitting in the unresolvable. So I like the poem. I have great pockets of beauty where I can rest in the peace and great swaths of time where I'm very very aware of the dis-ease. What about you? How does that work for you? How do you do it? How do I do it? Yeah, yeah. Same, I feel like with there's only growing humility and a type of tolerance, but it's a quite stubborn, <laughs> kind of d- determined one that yeah. is kind of, okay, you know, with every intensified feeling or every... Actually, for me, those kind of moments of despair come as kind of waves of disillusionment that mm. I then have to adjust to. And it's, okay, okay now how do I include that? that picture of reality in in my view of the world and how do I balance it with what what I also know to be true. Yeah. Um and yeah, people do share kind of tips and, and tools around what gets them through and I'm interested, you know, you, you say you don't you don't have any but it seems that both the reading of poetry and its writing has mm-hmm. been a process for you to at least explore those questions in a way that mm-hmm. maybe gives you some feeling of even if it even if it's then on the page and it's still unresolved it's in some kind of form or something that can be shared definitely it can be shared mm. and it's definitely a joy for me let's put it in the joy pile yeah. of, which is huge in my life I have a huge joy pile um, it raises more questions and in a way poetry I think part of a poetic mandate is to ask the questions that need to be asked so that it's on the forefront of people's consciousness. In terms of our environmental um, reality, we're like, wow, feeling so much Um, and sometimes also feeling a little helpless. Yeah, that deserves a bit of silence because mm. sometimes all we can do is sit with that helplessness. Correct. Um, or share it with somebody in some way. Yeah. And a lot of Joanna Macy, who is an yeah. eco-Buddhist philosopher, she really speaks about the necessity of gathering together to collectively witness and share yes. the, our, our grief or our despair or our hopeless, helplessness as well as those moments of, of joy and to actually ritualise them and share mm. them in ceremony. Um, and, yeah, is there something... How have you witnessed the, the power of that, of coming together in, in circles to 
to do this work together on, on some scale in your I, I think that wouldn't probably be a good question for me. No, sure. No. Um, I, I wish I could answer that a little bit more, but mm-hmm. I, I can't, given who I am and the way mm-hmm. I work. I think I would tend to be much more introverted. Yeah. I think this collective um, expression, has it all has value. You know, every mm-hmm. way in which we can engage with the question and with our own answers and with our own willingness to step up in the ways that are ours to step up. You know, whether it's doing a poetry day for Fokai. Mm. Fokai is Friends of Cortez Island, as you know, so I can mm. do an eco-poetry there, yeah. which we could enjoy. And um, and we can share words for Cortez sh- Community Radio. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Little things like that. So that is... That is taking action and, yes. you know, bite-sized, yes. manageable impactful action and when we you know a lot of people shy away from the idea of activists because they they see it with a big capital a or with a big kind of standing on the front lines and i really you know i think it's radical to reclaim the idea of activism and put it into the everyday put it into the relational into the moments when we say yes you're tired i will look after your your newborn baby for an afternoon so that you can do well, something you, that you, you can do that so i won't do the newborn baby but thank you having done newborn babies yeah. but yes some version thereof and so um yeah so i'm i, I want to share with you Please. like a poem that came out of that day yeah because it was a it was a fun day and i participated as much as i let it i I was with you on that day. So the day was about eco-poetry with the notion of it being a fundraiser for Fokai, Friends of Cortez Island. And um, what came out of it was it kind of um, begs the question that Wendell Berry poses and that I too pose in the poem. So the poem came out of that day and I've edited and edited and interestingly enough, based on this conversation. It's called Trust. Some fly to God, I sink, scrape fir bark as I descend to tangled ground, lie like a rag, curled between roots and moss, smelling the last drop from the last rain as the trees shed their thirsty leaves, making music, part warning, part lullaby. I yield the burden of upright, am held snugly even in my emptiness, and wonder when the parched forest turns her face towards autumn's rain and wind. Will we both drink anew? The forest is not scared for her future. Thank you. Mm. I will share mine. Which yeah? That came from the same day. Fabulous, please. I'd love to hear it again. My poem's called What is Known is in Relation. We are known in relation, or not at all. 
worlds will fall into one another if we allow it. Just as bodies obey gravity's call to lay along the earth's curvature. Just as grandmothers bend to kiss the back of their baby's baby's knees. What is known is in relation or not at all. I love that line. I love that first line. You know, when you read it at the time, I thought about it, and it kept coming back to me. I just love the refrain, or not at all, mm-hmm. or not at all. Yeah, to, to share a piece of my own story um, for listeners and for you, Priya, my, some of my... arrival at a place of of needing to take a break and being able to um, came from a feeling of being overwhelmed not just by the state of the world but also by the relationships that I was entangled into of of care of feelings of responsibility for other people's lives perhaps Um, and a real inability to carve out time for myself which I really needed and that kind of pushed me to an extreme place where I really craved solitude and I really craved time alone and I really carved that out and in that kind of, you know, pushed away some relationships. And I think there's, you know, there's kind of all of these questions come back to this idea of both and and of balance and of acknowledging both the time that we need for ourselves, especially people with more kind of, maybe on the introverted side of a, some kind of spectrum um, but that yeah we we are known in relation or not at all and those relationships are so central too to our to our meaning and our place in the world and to mm. also to our to our sustenance to our self-care you know there's this emphasis on the self and what we do to look after ourselves but none of this is possible alone it's always possible because someone else is maybe doing the work while you take a break or um, someone else is your shoulder to cry on. Mm -hmm. But we need to extend that someone else to the whole ecosystem. And and I think we're so narcissistic, Mm. us humans. We are so narcissistic. We are the very embodiment. We yelp about, you know, the president of the USA of being you know, the perfect embodiment of narcissism, which of course, bless him, he is, but we as a human race have the same characteristic. We put ourselves first and foremost as if we are the only creatures that that we are on the top of the food chain and no one else matters. And we do not feel deeply enough our relation. We are known in relation or not at all. So if we as humans could be known in relation to the whole, yeah. then we would be more mindful. And you and I are cute because we're on two ends of the spectrum. You're just like firing up in all the ways in which you can apply your great goodwill and your great intelligence to the things in front of you that maybe you are willing to um, care about and apply your skills towards. And I'm on the other end of being very selective of where can I make a difference that is going to be um, useful without it kind of shredding me, mm-hmm. you know? And 
part of what happens to the elders uh, is that we we get we see, but we don't always have the energy to act. Mm -hmm. And you have a huge amount of energy to act, and then your job, I imagine, partly is to keep yourself in relationship yeah. internally. We are known in relation, or not at all, relationship to your own energetic, your relationship to the world around. And, and so, you know, we, we come back to the question at the beginning, how do we hold right relationship with the impossibility of holding dear what is true and also uh, doing what we can without getting shredded yeah. and feeling helpless and still being um, willing to participate in making a difference. So. Again, we go local. Here we are on Cortez Island. This, we have a radio station. I mean, wow. Given to us by people who are willing to volunteer their time, like you, and energy, and smarts, and brights, and tastes, and quirks. We have a radio station. We have a voice. And how phenomenal is that? So we on Cortez, we have so many things like that. We have so many organizations that are um, improve the quality of our lives because people care enough to jump in. And we also have the, the ecosystems, which I feel, you know, maybe in some ways have more of a voice here or they have more of a presence and they, those ecosystems and the, the beauty and, and awe that kind of comes from them is, is part of Cortez Island mm -hmm. and... Yeah, it's the to just go back to my yeah that line we're known in relation or not at all. Once again, it it came from actually this idea of um, of indigenous knowledge and of kind of our the as well the kind of Western bias of of being able to write something down and pin it down and kind of just know it rather than also being being seen to know by and, and being witnessed by the moon or mm -hmm. the trees and, and our, you know, the, the kind of um, outer moments of, of spirituality and interconnection where we feel part of the, that bigger, mm -hmm. that bigger cycle. And it seems that in your poem you say some people look up and out to God and you sink down and into the, those depths and there's both this this necessary going down and digging into ourselves to know what it is that feeds us as well as kind of opening out and getting sustenance and, and resourcefulness almost from interconnectivity. I, I, I think it goes both ways. Yeah. You cannot not feel the interconnectivity if you sink down. You mm -hmm. go down to a tree root and you'll know that under the ground which is true psychically, interpsychically, and in the ground itself. Those roots are all yapping to each other. They're having the conversation. Mm. They're in communication. It's us that feel ourselves as separate from each other, from the ground that we stand on, because we're a little too full of ourselves. Mm. <laughs> so if we can kind of relax a little bit about who we think we are <laughs> in the great big world, you know, and there's a... There's a there's so much talking, uh, talking about eco-poetry, talking about the arts. There's so much conversation that interface between the arts and the environment. 
Okay. So I said for the first time ever, when we needed the most, the arts are not leading the charge and normally they would be. The artists are the one, the canaries. Yeah? Yeah. And they're not because they, as I said, they've been underfunded and in a way silenced. Not like we are silenced, but there isn't a, um, it, it isn't holding its place in a way. And this interface between the environment and the arts and this conversation of, well, how do the arts represent best? How does the arts, you know, the alarm bells of it's all terrible doesn't work. The notion of um, an artist is bringing the beauty of the world to the consciousness of people who may not notice because they're too busy. The idea that we going to preserve the things we love, but that's not going to happen because I say, hey, look at the moon, isn't it grand? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You know, and... I do not know the answer to that, but I do know that the creative artistic interface um, where we literally are uh, eco-creators, where we work in relation to what we feel and see, and um, even if it, even to express, you know, sometimes the despair and then not knowing how we get to talk about it in a way that may make move the needle even one centimeter, even that seems something that we have to do because we have it in us to do. And we still get to go and, you know, help Fokai and help the radio. Mm-hmm. So it's like and both, like yeah. you were saying, and both. There's, there's this way of kind of holding holding that grief, holding that pain. Um, and there's a, a big movement at the moment looking at how that is really in relationship to to joy. But there's something about how kind of, you know, in any kind of, maybe this goes back to your, your psychotherapy training as well, like all bodies in, in pain will attempt to recoil and, mm-hmm. and look away mm-hmm. and maybe deny and hide, mm-hmm. you know, we have our own bodily protective mm-hmm. measures so we don't look at that, that trauma. Um, and so, yeah, this this dance between looking after ourselves and also looking. And I think you have a poem about witnessing, called, is it maybe something called Witness? Yeah. You have an incredible memory. I've completely, <laughs> A, forgotten the poem, B, forgotten where to find it. You have a great memory. And you're right. I'll just say one thing. As having been a psychotherapist my whole life and a teacher in that same uh, vein um, there's there's that sense also as very much drawn to the Jungian work working with the unconscious as being a source of wisdom and a resource within us for our deeper senses and pulses so it's not scary the, the, the despair and the joy that lies just on the other side of that coin they're like they're sisters they're friends there's not one up there's not one or the other Mm. we don't need to be scared of that if we literally go into the feeling of all the sadness inside of that is that bubble just right there and vice versa I don't think even as I spoke at the beginning of sometimes feeling polarized it's still when we break it down when we do fall to root inside of that listening to the music that comes from the dried leaves is also feeling the connection of the trees talking to each other. So 
there's that interchangeable right close by so we don't have to be scared on either one we go into the joy really the joy we'll also go into the feeling of loss because it's just embedded and vice versa but anyway back to you madam my god i'm gonna have you as my archivist (laughs) who knew once upon a time ages ago i wrote a book called the territory of home that was really based on my um love affair with all the discoveries of what it is to be in a deeper relationship to the land because I had been so much more an urban girl. So that first book, The Territory of Home, is really a Cortez book. And in it, which you remembered, um, is a poem called Witness, which really is so speaks of what we're talking about. What is exempt from the concrete march of progress? Not the delicate lift of the blue heron as she bats her wide, wondrous wings above the rising tide, knowing her name will be ticked, a check in the box. Not my granddaughter as she skips lightly over slick, salty rocks, knowing her children may never see a polar bear or eat fresh salmon caught from the open sea. Not the ancient stand of grandmother trees, the otters or great grizzlies. What stretches the fabric of my heart so tightly is this need to keep watching without giving up, turning away or closing. without giving up, without turning away, closing down, you know, still witnessing with open hearts. And seeing what's ours to do in the moment or in the environment that we have our deepest relationship with, which is usually one that we're in here and now. So that seems to be the challenge of certainly my generation. It's so comfy to get cosy and comfy. Um... And it's so hard to do what I just talked about. Ask me if I can, and I will say for discreet moments. But it is hard, and yet that really is one of the only things that makes sense. Yeah. And it, again, it's it's that hard thing. And I, I, I ask a question that it doesn't mean to be um, kind of... It's not a, a trick question or... Uh, you know an attacking question at all but it's this it is this this piece around what it means to lean into discomfort when we don't need to mm-hmm. you know when when we when we live on a, a perhaps a, a, when we get to a place in our lives where we could live comfortably and we could turn away yeah. and we could not look yeah um but there are people in the world who cut who have to look and who experience that mm-hmm. every day yes um and so to just kind of how do you negotiate or how do you sit in that discomfort of comfort? Or Great question. And that's how we started this conversation. Yeah. And I remember okay. when I said, I wish I had like mm. the three easy tips to say. I think, I think honestly, it will stay an open question as long as I have breath. And... 
I think that the more I personally can sit, as the poem suggests, and then move into action when it feels that I can make a difference in small ways or big ways, whether it's an individual or an action. Mm, like on Cortez right now, there are a few initiatives that are really exciting coming up that I'm so happy to lend my energy and heart to. Great. And individuals when it comes up. And that's as much as I know. And that's not an answer, but it's a personal response. I have one other poem that I think may speak to this. I have to find it. circling around similar issues. Mm -hmm. So this is one of my favorite poems, not necessarily that it's my favorite poem, but it's one of my favorites because it deals with an issue that I think any of us who are bent towards a creative uh, life asks, we ask this again and again, at least I do, and other people who write or paint do too. This is called So... So, what use a poem? It will not feed a child or stop a tank. Will not deter the man who soars tusks of an elephant. Or shelter us from rain. May not even be read. May not touch those particles which spell wonder or loss. But may point to the way the grasses bend their bodies towards dry ground, encouraged to prayer by wind rushing down the foothill canyons. May say, in spite of Earth's fever, her rising temperature, her dried or flooded lands, her gluttonous inhabitants, she still shines with renewal each spring. Still births under cloudless skies and pregnant leaden ones. Still spins, constant as any practiced dervish in her glorious orbital dance. She knows better than take our drama too seriously. So, on this summer morning, the juncos sing, and I write. Thank you, Pia. Thank you so much. It's been such, yeah, it's been nourishing mm. and just kind of to sit with you on this, yeah, turn of the turn of the seasons. It yeah. feels like a little bit and it does, reflect it? on on these these bigger questions and and what action we can take in small ways yes wherever we are agreed i thank you bridget it's been it's been wonderful it's been wonderful to sit with you and to and be willing um almost encouraging to sit with somebody willing to sit 
in not knowing and still ask the questions. So it's been fun. Thank you so much. Thank you, Brea.